Heavenly Father, Lord, here we are. We've got our Bibles open, and we've got our hearts open, hopefully. And if they're not, we just pray that you would open them this morning. We want to hear your word. We want to understand our place in it. And we want to ask that you would communicate in such a way that we are left inspired. So we put ourselves in your hands, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, is this thing too close to my mouth? I'll go down a little bit because I hear drumming in the, in the speaker. I think that's better. I hope anyway. Uh-huh. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. As you know, for sure you know, we're living in a world of sin. And this world of sin has more of an influence upon us than many of us realize. We, I don't think we would like to admit that sometimes. But it's true. I mean, we find ourselves to be Christians. We want to be Christian. We are Christians. And, and we think the world doesn't have any influence. Well, it isn't, it isn't that way. The world has an influence. And for an example, and it's amazing to me that I, I could use this example at all. As you know, Seventh-day Adventists are very much into education, right? We're the most educated people in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, just last week I was... Um, I had lunch with the president, vice president of a university in Chile, Adventist University in Chile. And the first thing they asked us as we sat down to, to eat was, what's your degree? It's like, well, why did you think I had one? <laughs> because I don't have one. You know, I, and I felt embarrassed. I mean, I didn't know how to respond. It's just like, and that happens more than once, and I never know how to respond just exactly what to say. So I just had to say, well... I quit school when I was 16, <laughs> and I went logging, and then I went mining, and then the Lord got hold of me, and I became a Seventh-day Adventist and got my education right here. This is where I, I can only credit uh, getting my education there. Amen. Nevertheless, still in all, and by the way, I wish I had more education. I wish I had a lot more education. Do you know that it's a wonderful tool? That's what it's all about. That's what education is supposed to be. It's an amazing tool that we can use in the Lord's work, right? Yeah. But many times people get an education to benefit themselves. They don't understand that it's supposed to be a tool that we're going to use to benefit the people around us. And so we get an education so we can make money, so we can have a big house and a big car, and so we can be recognized and and bolster our pride and all of that. Nevertheless, we know, at least we should know, that Jesus came into this world. By the way, he had everything that people in this world wanted. He had all the wealth you can think of. He had all the power. He had all the comfort. He had all the recognition that you, could, that you can want up there in heaven. And yet he came down into this world. And it was not for his benefit, by the way. Yeah. He didn't come here hoping to be paid a lot of money or wanting a title or a position or anything like that. He didn't come here to work eight hours a day and to have the weekends off. No, no, Jesus came to be a missionary and he was a man with a mission. And that's how we're supposed to be. We are missionaries, right? Every single one, every single person in this room should be a missionary for Jesus Christ. And that means you're a person on a mission. And you've got something to do. And it doesn't matter if the Lord calls you to work more than eight hours a day, by the way. And he will, you know, if my experience has anything to do with it. So this morning I'd like to talk about what it cost Jesus to come here 
and to serve the people, to minister to the people. Now, someone might like to say, well, it didn't cost him anything. I mean, imagine yourself, God, if, if you were God, and all you have to do in order to get anything done is speak it into existence. That doesn't cost very much. I can talk for a whole hour, you'll see. You know, and, and at, the end of the, at the end of the time, it hasn't cost me a whole lot, although I don't know that I always accomplish a whole lot. <laughs> but he speaks, and the thing happens. And so, why would you think that it cost him anything? Well, friends, it didn't cost him any pain to create man. As a matter of fact, he was delighted to do it. And his whole creation was a great delight for him when he created it. But I'll tell you something. To heal an individual, to redeem an individual, that costs him far more than most of us understand. And this is really what I, I want to talk about this morning. Yes. Matthew chapter 8. I think I had you turn there. In Matthew chapter 8, we're looking at verse 14 to verse 17. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now these are the words that I'm interested in, the, the last few words in these verses, that he bare our infirmities, that he took our six sicknesses. And you would think, well, why couldn't he just speak the word? And go to each individual that is sick and just say, you're healed. Do you think he could have done that? Well, of course. And that sometimes it seems that's exactly what he did, right? He just told them that they were healed. And they were healed by just saying so. But it wasn't quite that way. The Bible says he took their infirmities and bare their diseases. Jesus was not a physician in the modern sense of the word. He didn't see people every 10 minutes or every 15 minutes and write them a prescription. He, he wasn't even a medical missionary as we think of it today in, in the sense that he did fever therapies and all the rest. He didn't go there as much. Well, sometimes he used natural remedies. But um, very often he just spoke the words. There was something unseen going on. The Bible says he bore our afflictions. What does that mean? Uh, you know, we could think of the sanctuary service in those terms. If a man had a problem, the only way he could rid himself of that problem in ancient days was to go to the sanctuary and confess his sin or confess his problem on the head of a lamb. And the lamb would what? The lamb would die. Yeah. So there was a transfer there, wasn't there? From whatever it is that the man was suffering or the problem, whatever he had, was transferred to the lamb and the lamb paid the penalty. So don't miss what's going on here. Sin and sickness bear to each other a relation of cause and effect. And so it is today. If we break the laws of health, that's the cause. Then we get sick and that's the effect. And so when our sins were placed on the innocent lamb, that was the cause. And he died. That was the effect. Jesus bore our sins. That's what it says. He took our, infi our infirmities. And friends, it killed him. Now, do you remember the drain 
that came upon Jesus when the lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years came to him. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We can see that story there. And I hope you don't mind using your Bible. That's why we're here, by the way. Mark chapter 5, we're looking at verse 25 to 30. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? (laughs) And you know the story. Peter then says, what do you mean, who touched you? You're, you're in a crowd, and everyone is bustling, pushing, and shoving. And you say, who touched me? It doesn't make any sense. And yet Jesus was not talking about someone accidentally touching him. He knew that someone had touched him on purpose. And that touch had drawn from him, the Bible says, virtue. Whatever that would mean to you and me, I'm not always sure. Healing cost him something. In Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, we're looking at verse 8 and 9, Isaiah 63. And he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. Isn't that wonderful? So he was their savior. I don't know why I'm stopping here. It's just the thought, children that will not lie. (laughs) We don't lie, do we? Those are God's people, children that will not lie. And the truth shall set you free. I wish people understood that. And sometimes I can just go off on a tangent, but it just struck me there. Verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He bare them and carried them all the days of old. He bear their afflictions. In all their afflictions, he could feel it. As a matter of fact, it says so in the book Desire of Ages, page 823. Christ feels the woes of every sufferer. You cannot understand that. You cannot understand unless you understand God. And we cannot understand God. But this is a picture of who God is. This is a picture of what God is. I mean, he, he is so great, he is so all-encompassing that no matter how huge the universe, or if you could put a, a microscope on a, on a drop of water, you could see a universe in the drop of water, God knows everything that's going on everywhere in the whole universe, however small, however great it is. And so you think he doesn't know what's going on in you and me? Well, it's even, it's even closer than that because it says Christ feels. He feels it. The woes of every sufferer. When fever is burning up the life current, he feels the agony. It's an amazing thought. How many people do you think are suffering in this world this morning? How would you like to feel all of that? You know, but God has the capacity And I have to believe these words are true because I believe the spirit of prophecy. He feels the agony of every single individual in the world. He bears it. It's amazing. 
It really, really is. And so those of you who are therapists this morning, and you have lifestyle guests coming, and they're hurting, and, they're, and, and, and they've got all kinds of pain that you and I can sympathize to one degree or another, but we never can enter into it like this. Because we are not who God is. It's amazing. Now, few people, I think, would accept that view of medical missionary work. But that's what God wants us to experience, to the degree that we can as human beings. Medical missionary work is not something we do to earn a living. As a matter of fact, there isn't much of a living in it. (laughs) Unless you're a doctor and you're out there and you're being paid a whole pile of money to see people for 10 minutes at a time. The type of medical missionary work, at least that we're accustomed to, doesn't pay a whole lot of dividends, except that we have the blessing of, seeing the, of having the opportunity of ministering to the people around us, whatever it is, that, the little that we know. And so sometimes, to minister to the people means that we're going to sacrifice our time We're going to sacrifice a meal sometimes here and there. I assume some people have sacrificed their health and there may be even lives lost. In That I May Know Him, page 48. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he knew that for that life he must pay the ransom on the cross of Calvary. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but that wasn't all that he... He couldn't do just that. You would think that God can just raise anyone from the dead, but it, it just doesn't work that way. That isn't the agreement that was made, whoever made the agreement, you know, that if he was to raise a life from the dead, he would have to die for that life. And so Lazarus lived because Jesus died. Now, I'm sure you've heard the illustration that I'm going to share with you now. But it bears repeating, I think. There was a little girl dying, needed a blood transfusion. Long time ago when blood transfusions were direct from person to person. And they asked, whoever they are, the doctor, her parent, their parents, asked her little brother if he would be willing to share uh, some blood with his sister. But the little boy didn't understand what he was being asked. However, he agreed to do it. And then sometime during the process, and it was taking a little longer than he thought it would, he opened his eyes and he asked the attendant, when am I going to die? (laughs) You see, he had it in his heart, he had it in his mind that when he had agreed to give his blood to his sister, that he was going to give his blood. Do you know the life is in the blood? I don't know how, what he understood there, but obviously he had the idea that if he was going to share his blood with his sister, he wouldn't have any. And so he would die. And he was willing to do it. But Jesus was more than willing to do it. Jesus did it. Isaiah 53, if you'll go with me. You know this, of course, Isaiah 53. Everyone knows this, that is a Christian. I was listening to Pastor Stephen Grabner this weekend. We had a communion service at our church. And, and uh, he was talking about becoming a Christian from being a Jewish. And he mentions Isaiah 53, that when he read that, he knew Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. I guess there's a reason why a lot of the Jewish leadership don't want the people 
to read this, this chapter because they don't know what to do with it. It's just so plain. Verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our grief, yes, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Peter says, we were healed. I had that experience. I've got to make sure I don't spend too long. But a few years ago, I got this dizziness. Every time I'd wake up in the morning, what do you call that? Vertigo. Yeah, that's right, vertigo. I would, as soon as I moved my head, the whole room started spinning. So much so that I had to grab the bed. I thought I'd be thrown against the wall. Um, It wouldn't happen, of course. And it didn't happen. But it was just that way. And then it would take some time. And then I could manage to maneuver and go to the restroom. And and by noon, everything was done. But the thing came back every morning, every morning, every morning for a whole week. And I thought, this is never going to end. So I began to pray for healing And I use this Isaiah 53 here to say, with his stripes, you said, I am healed. Not only that, you said, I was healed. And so looking back to the cross, I am healed. And I remember saying to the Lord, listen, I I don't know when this is going going away, but this promise says I am healed, therefore I am healed. And it's going to resolve itself sometime. And do you know from that moment on, I never had vertigo again. It's amazing. Just claiming a promise. Now, I'm not telling you it's going to happen to you just like that. If you pray that prayer, uh, the Lord sometimes has timing involved. But this is what we see here. He bore our infirmities. He took them. Therefore, we don't have to have them. If we have faith, if we come to him. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. Are you a medical missionary according to what we're studying this morning? That's the kind of medical missionary the Lord would have us to have. Now, there are some people in the world that would like to say, oh, I'm afraid if I lived like that, it would wear me out. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. It killed Jesus, you see, to be a, mis- a medical missionary of that caliber. And it might well wear us out. Yeah, well, someone might say, yeah, but I'm a health reformer. Don't you think I ought to take care of my health? Yes, we ought to take care of our health, but sometimes I have a bone to pick with, with health reformers. Health reformers are so dedicated to their own health sometimes that they end up being the sickest people I know. Why? It, it's because, friends, we're too self-concerned about this thing. There's a wonderful little secret that we have in the scriptures. Uh, We're still in the book of Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. I want you to see something in, of course, Isaiah 58. If you're a medical missionary at all, you know this, this chapter by heart, I would think. Isaiah 58. But, oh, it is wonderful. Look at verses 7 to 10. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bring the poor that are cast out to your house, When you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. That's the kind of fasting the Lord is asking us to do. It's going to cost us something to do it. And then it says, and this is beautiful, then at that point, when we have done this, 
Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and your health shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before thee, and glory of the Lord shall be your reward. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If you take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noon day. Do you know what that is? That's the loud cry. You know how I know? Look at the first two words in this chapter. Cry aloud. And you reverse those two, what have you got? A loud cry. Do you know, and I don't have time because that would be altogether a different sermon, but do you know that we expect as a people to be giving the loud cry, that we will never give the loud cry if we don't receive the loud cry, and the Lord is crying aloud here this morning to us. And he's telling us what he expects of his people, that we should be just like Jesus. So the secret of vibrant health is to give it away and not to be obsessed with our own. Now, I'm not telling you here you don't have to be a health reformer. You know, no, no, it's not that way. (laughs) We want to live for Jesus. And we want to do everything just right. But if you're obsessed with yourself, if you're obsessed with your own salvation, if you're obsessed with your own health, if you're obsessed with your own bank account or whatever it is you're obsessed with, you're obsessed with the wrong thing. We should be filled with love for the people around us to the point where we are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to sacrifice. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. It's just what Jesus said. Give and it shall be given unto you. That's the point of the whole thing. Now, invariably, there'll be a devil's advocate who's going to say, are you saying I shouldn't be a health reformer? (laughs) No, no. If the battle is between you and junk food, I suppose you know what to do, right? But if the battle is between you getting enough rest and helping somebody who has the need of your help, then do you not know what to do? That's what it's all about. Yeah. In Councils to Teachers, page 537, paragraph 8. Success. That's success in any line, by the way. Success will be proportionate to the degree of consecration and self-sacrifice in which the work is done. You've never met a, a successful person that hasn't paid a price for it. It just doesn't work in this world. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're in the world, totally worldly out there. No one succeeds in a, in a significant way in any case except by sacrifice. And this is what this is telling us here. So that's what we want. Uh, I do a series of meetings on uh, success. And the last of these messages um, talk about Viktor Frankl. Now, I, I assume some of you have heard of Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish man stuck in a um, concentration camp for four years. And he uh, became a very famous, even very wealthy psychiatrist in the world. But it, he had always been interested in studying mankind. And when he was in the concentration camp, he would study who, the men who would come into the concentration camp. And some were buff, strong, 
young men coming into the concentration camp, and some were fragile, some were, were really sickly. He thought that obviously the strong men, the big men, would last longer than the small men or the, or the, the men who appeared to be weak. But it wasn't that way. It, it, it's just baffling to his mind. How is it that some who are very weak lasted a lot longer than those who are very strong? It just doesn't seem to make sense. And so he wrote a whole book on it. And by the way, he became famous for writing this book. But it turned out that the reason people outlived others is because they had meaning in their lives. And he credits the idea that he had a wife that was, into another, was in another concentration camp for the fact that he remained alive because his wife meant everything to him at that time. And he just waited out this concentration experience um, to be reunited with his wife, not knowing that his wife that died early in the other concentration camp. But he survived the thing because of her, his memory of her, that sort of stuff. Amazing. And so, it is important that we have meaning in our lives. In Christian Councils on Health, page 51, an aimless life is a living death. That's what she says. A lot of people are alive who are really dead. Yeah, because they have no meaning in their lives. Now, Franklin Frankel wrote a dozen books And one book in specific that he wrote, he didn't want the publishers to put his name in it because he he wanted to help the people and he didn't want anything to distract from them their getting any help. He didn't want them thinking that he wrote this book to become famous or to become wealthy. So he, he asked the publishers not to put his name in the book. And here's what he writes about that. This is a book called Man's Search for Meaning. By the way, if you want to read a good book, I I recommend it highly, Man's Search for Meaning. This is in the introduction. And so it is both strange and remarkable to me that among some dozen of books that I have authored, precisely this one, which I had intended to be published anonymously so that it could never build up any reputation on the part of the author, this one became a success. Now, do you think this was a uh, coincidence or do you think there is a God behind all of that? Now, I know that Frankel, as far as I know, he was Jewish. And I don't know if he ever became a Christian. But he had in his heart a desire to help other people more than to be blessed himself. And so I can see a God in heaven wherever he finds the man that who, who will work with that principle in his heart that God will bless that man. And so that's what happened. I think he was tremendously blessed because all he wanted was to be a blessing to the people around him. Well, then the next page, he says something interesting. And like I say, I did a series of meetings on how to succeed. And I finished with this. Don't aim at success. This is Frankel writing. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. That is, it must result from a different cause or another cause. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness, like health, like success, like salvation, like greatness, all of these things 
Happiness must happen, and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscience commands you to do and go on to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. Do you see the principle here? It's a true principle. It's amazing. Don't be dedicated to yourself. Don't be dedicated to your health, your salvation, your well-being, your ambition, your wealth, your success, your happiness, your greatness, on and on and on. Be dedicated. As a matter of fact, isn't that what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God that is to expand it. And his righteousness that is to, to have his righteousness and not ours. That's a person other than ourselves, right? Jesus Christ. And all these things will be added unto you. That's the promise of the scriptures to people who will dedicate their lives to blessing other people in the name of Jesus. That's what we want. Well, I'm done. Just one more word. A lot of people come to me to tell me how amazing my wife is. Well, I think she's amazing, (laughs) uh, too. And very often they will say, well, I couldn't do what she does, and I don't have time to tell you what the Lord has done for her. But I can tell you this. She's never done anything. The Lord is the one that does it. It really isn't her. The only difference between her and many other people who say, I couldn't do what she does, is that she goes ahead and does it. Not because she can anymore. She has a grade 10 education. She quit school when she was 16, just like her her uneducated husband, you see. But... She threw herself into the work. And the Lord, when we were in Africa, and she's in Africa more than I am now. She spent more than 20 years in Africa. In Africa, you know. She became a dentist. She became a doctor. She became a surgeon. She, became <laughs> she built a whole institution single-handedly over there. She didn't do it. The Lord did it. And why did the Lord do it? Because she had a heart for the people. And the Lord blessed her in going forward putting her best foot forward as best as she could. He gave her the wisdom that she needed for the moment, moment by moment. Don't you think he would do that for anyone? Yes. Why doesn't anyone do it? (laughs) I mean, just anyone. Well, sometimes we think too much about ourselves. And our hearts are not so, how should I say, I guess dedicated or consecrated to helping the people around us. This is what God wants of his people. And when God's people get there, the whole world will be enlightened with the glory of God's character because that's the loud cry that we are to give after we've received it. God bless you all. I invite you to stand. Heavenly Father, here we are. We're just human beings, fallen and faulty flawed in many respects, and we know it. Sometimes we know it. Sometimes we know it more than other times. Lord, we simply come to you this morning and ask, with what little remains of our lives in this world, that you would do something more than you've done so far with us. We ask you to bless, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.